All right. Well, tonight we are going to be reading. Um, uh, we're going to be reading all of Judges chapter 17, uh, which is only 13 verses, but it is Judges chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 13. I will bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, the, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. And so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah and the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem and Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem and Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And he journeyed. He came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me. And be a father, be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became uh, to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. Thus ends the, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it richly to his people. So tonight we enter into the last major section, the major, last major block of the book of Judges. And in it we find Israel descending into moral and religious confusion that will conclude with what we can only call charitably self-devastation. There are no specific statements from the narrator in, in these chapters that uh, give any kind of evaluation of the behavior uh, except one statement that is repeated four times in these chapters. The, 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 this statement, uh, and, and we will consider that, uh, the, the, the significance of that, of that statement a little bit later. Um, but one scholar proposes that what we're seeing here as we're seeing not Israel, but we're seeing Israel being Canaanized. Israel essentially becoming, uh, you know, the modern Canaan, Canaan 2.0. And that they have, they are doing exactly what the Lord warned them about. They are becoming like the nations they drove out of the land. Now today we live in a world of moral and religious confusion that affects people's real lives in very serious ways. We need to see here the warnings against compromising the world in the text. 
And our text tonight is actually only the first half of Micah's story. We'll continue uh, next week with the second half of Micah's story in chapter 18. And so what we have tonight is essentially the setup, and next week will be the results of that setup. Uh, now, in this chapter that spans only 13 verses, we see problems arise, particularly of false worship and false confidence, and how we need to be careful to avoid these things. Uh, but it's only at the end where we truly consider the heart of the problem at, in this text, which is located in verse 6. But we'll take, a, take that at the very end. But first, we'll deal with the first problem. It comes in, in verses 1 through 5, which is the problem of false worship. And now, the problem of, heart, of false worship that is actually characterized by uh, what I like to call heartwarming idolatry. You know, there's just such a warm feeling when we read this story about all this uh, idolatry going on between mo mother and son here. Um, we're told a story about a mom and her son. And, and now, we're, now what's interesting is I'm going to bring up the map of Israel. So uh, on, on the left side there, you see Dan, the tribe of Dan and Judah right there, and Ephraim. So that green and like teal color and kind of white color there, we're kind of, that's the area that we're dealing with right now. So Micah lives in the green area um, near Dan because next, next week we're going to see the tribe of Dan come over there and make some trouble for him. Um, but then, the, but then the, the Levite comes up from Judah. So you can see kind of the geography we're dealing with right there uh, in, in that green and teal and kind of whitish area. So it's kind of that center area right there is where we're hanging out. And that's where we've been, uh, if you recall. That's where we've been with Samson and Delilah. Uh, this is, is all kind of in that same general territory. And now there, there's a silent, shocking dark humor going on here. Del Ralph Davis calls it, a, there's a kind of a divine sarcasm just dripping from this text as we read it. Uh, there's, uh, it, it's like watching a scene in a movie where people are doing terrible, wrong, and strange things, and you as the audience, uh, you know, even though they're acting like it's perfectly normal, uh, you're the only, you're sitting there going, this is freaking me out. This is so weird. Why is everyone acting normal here like this is a good thing? Because Micah comes to his mom and he says, hey, mom, you remember when somebody ran off with all your retirement money and, uh, and you declared, you know, a, a, a terrible curse on them from the Lord? And that kind of freaked me out because I'm the one that took it. And so here it is. I've, I've given it back to you. And I, I get every, every penny. Here you go. And now the, the money was likely uh, her dowry that she had received from her husband. Uh, the dowry in a marriage was uh, the money that was paid to the wife. Uh, it, and it was hers. It was not to be touched because it was essentially the, 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 the backup fund in case the husband died. It was protection against widowhood. It was so that she would have some provision in case everything went bad. And so, um, and, and so the mom is very gracious. And so she uh, issues a blessing to Micah in the name of the Lord, essentially lifting the curse of judgment uh, that she had uttered uh, unknowingly against him. Uh, and, 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 and at this point, we're like, isn't that nice? That's a good thing, okay? Son egregiously sins against the mom, but he gives all the money back, and, and she forgives him, and okay, this is all, everything's good so far. But then she says, I am so happy because I'm dedicating all the silver I got back to, to Yahweh. And, and that's very generous. And so she says, so now, because I've done that, here you go, son, 
go make an idol. Go make a carved image of Yahweh that we can go worship. And then she gives 200 pieces of silver for the idol, and Micah goes and, and gets it done, and now it's in his house. Um, and so Micah then goes on, he sets up a priesthood with his own family, his, his son, makes a little ephod for him, and, and he makes him a priest, which is basically a priestly apron, and sets up the shrine in his, in his own home. Now, ancient, in the ancient world, it was common, especially in kind of rural locations, for these family shrines to be kind of the, the, the local temple areas. In larger cities, there would be official, like, big temple buildings and things like that because there's more resources. Uh, but, uh, um, but, but you step back and go, wait, wait hold on, what, what in the world is going on here? Any, any Israelite reader of this text would go, wait, 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 what's going on here? This is not right, and no one's saying anything. Uh, it's, you know, a, 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 you know, a Christian who's familiar with their Bible reading this text is thinking they're, you know, th that they're taking crazy pills at this point. Because it's like you're kind of like, well, let me get this straight. So Micah steals his mother's life savings in violation of the fifth and eighth commandments. You know, honor your parents and don't steal. And bear in mind that Micah is not a rebellious teenager. He's a full-grown man. And, and he then returns the money to his mom who in her, for her part turns around and commissions a violation of the second commandment, which is about not making images to worship God. This is not paganism as much as it is syncretism, where they are using pagan methods in order to worship Yahweh. You worship the God of the Bible. And, so, uh, and in doing so, Micah even, Micah's mother, even though she says she dedicates all the silver, only gives 200 of the 1,100 pieces uh, uh, um, to uh, to that, and it's like I dedicate all this money, and, but I'm only giving 200 pieces of it. Uh, it sounds a little like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, a little bit there about just saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give a little portion over here." There was a, you know, recently there was a famous defamation lawsuit between two famous Hollywood actors, and one of the courtroom clips that went viral was the, was the defendant getting grilled by the plaintiff's attorney because the defendant had publicly. Uh, uh, stated that she would uh, was going to donate s her seven million dollar divorce settlement to two nonprofits, but she hadn't done it yet, and it had been a good long time since she had made that promise. And so the lawyer was, you know, asking, you know, it, about, you know, it, it, why haven't you why haven't you donated this money? You said you were going to donate it. You haven't donated it. And she said, Well, I pledged to donate it. And she said, But you haven't donated what you pledged, have you? And she said, I've pledged it. I consider pledged and donation the same thing. And, and the lawyer said, they're not, they're different words. <laughs> and they mean different things. And so Micah's mom apparently uh, agreed with the defendant. Uh, so um, pledging is the same as giving. So, and, and Micah, in, in response to his mother's second covenant violation, um, doesn't rebuff her, but starts his own priesthood in violation of whole sections of scripture, uh, especially regarding the priests. It's nuts from an Israelite perspective and from a Christian perspective, but it is completely understandable because of how far Israel has gone off the deep end. As one scholar wrote, Micah and his mother are deadly serious in their religious expression but thoroughly pagan in action. They are deadly serious in their religious expression, but thoroughly pagan 
in action. And this it brings us uh, from heartwarming idolatry to the danger of man-made worship. We must beware creating worship that centers simply on the things that we think are best. The things that we just make, think make us feel good. Uh, yes, there's a lot of detailed decisions that we have to, be, to, to make. We have to use our best judgment. We're not told in the scriptures what time to gather together, how long that should be, the exact order of worship. We're not given those specifics. And so we have to use uh, the light of nature, good and, uh, judgments of good and necessary consequence from the principles of scripture. We have to use all those things. Um, um, but it is not up to us whether or not we're going to start a new priesthood. Or to redefine the pastorate apart from the scriptures. It is clear that Israel has lost the thread here. They have lost the word of God. For it is the word of God that directs us in our worship as God's people. It is the word of God that guides our worship today. Instructing us on the things that we do as well as the things that we don't. Our worship is defined by God's word which tells us which elements are necessary for worship, and, and then we implement those, decision, those, those elements, making decisions about how to make them happen within the context of God's people right here at Bailey. So we got to figure out how that works, okay? Well, we need, to, uh, we need to read the Bible, sing the Bible, pray the Bible. Uh, we need to see the Bible and the sacraments. Well, how do we make that work here at Bailey, right? And then we make those decisions. We, we're, we're, not in, we're not from 200 years ago, so we have... We have screens and we have things that we make use of, technology that we make use of. We have a sound system that we make use of, right? We have air conditioning, praise the Lord, that we make use of, right? And so we have, have, this, we have these things that we make use of um, that are not necessarily laid out for us in the scriptures, but, these, but the elements of worship are there. And so, uh, and so we avoid false worship. We avoid man-made worship by sticking to God's word. By, uh, by sticking as close to it as we can, and by making the scriptures central in our worship. Now, and so we cannot deny the sincerity of people who do many, many strange things in the name of Jesus any given Sunday, or Saturday, for that matter. And uh, I remember in college, I know there was a, there was a church nearby, and we never went, but, it's, uh, but it, we knew they, did, they handled snakes over there, Right? Now, I don't think anybody wants to, is advocating for us to pick that up, so, which is good. <laughs> but don't do that. So, um, uh, but, we, but, you know, they're sincere. They're sincere in their snake handling, but they're wrong, right? They're wrong. And so, uh, and so we can say that they're sincere, but we can also say they're in error because they are violating God's word. And if we lose sight of the word of God, we will too. Because we can also make the other mistake is we can get lost in, in tradition. We get lost even in the Reformed tradition and get so obsessed of trying to recreate Calvin's Geneva or something like that that, that we, don't under, we forget the fact that, it's, that it is 2023 and that we need worship that fits the context of God's people here according to the word of God, according to what we like to call the regulative principle of worship, uh, which is applying the word of God to God's worship here today. We take the wisdom of tradition, we learn from it, we are directed by it, we are helped by it, but we are not shackled by it. We are not constrained by it. We are not ruled by it. We are ruled by 
God's, by God in his word. And so there's, a, so there's false worship here in the first five verses. In verses 7 through 13, we move from false worship to the, the second thing we need to avoid, which is a false confidence. And what we have here between Micah and the Levite is something we can call the confidence of fools. The saying of uh, meetings in the corporate world is none of us is as wrong as all of us together, right? So uh, pe- people who laugh have been in a lot of meetings. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but we see that at play here. The Levites as a tribe were given no land allotment uh, in the land because Yahweh was to be their inheritance. They were given a bunch of cities throughout Israel so that they could serve the people of God throughout, that they could serve the tribes of Israel and instruct them in the ways of God according to the, according to the word. And, uh, and this service would include that instruction. It would include the services of the priesthood, but they seem to have lost their way as well. And so if the leaders of God's people, the spiritual leaders of God's people have gone this way, why would we expect Micah to fare better than they? Now, this particular Levite was not content in his situation in Judah, and so he went looking for greener pastures. Micah came across uh, this man and takes him into his home and sets him up as his own personal family priest. And we immediately are made privy to Micah's insecurity. He knows that what he has done is pretty shaky, or else he wouldn't be so excited to actually have a for real priest now, right? He's like, yeah, I this, my son was the priest, but you know, you know, but now I got a Levite. I got the real deal now. So Micah invites the young man to become his spiritual father and a priest, and in exchange, he would give him a nice living. But as we we will see, the problem with a mercenary minister is that they will always take the best deal that comes along. And we'll see that in chapter 18. Micah ordains the, the Levite, uh, whatever that meant. Uh, I, we know how they're supposed to ordain him, you know, as Moses did in Exodus and the instructions there. But how did Micah ordain this Levite? We're not, we don't know, but he did. Uh, but revealing that both Micah and the Levite apparently don't know the word of God, uh, or they, they are grossly misapplying the word of God, or they just don't care. And then Micah says, he knows for sure, he knows for certain now that Yahweh will bless him. Why? Because he is a Levite as a priest. What Micah has are the trappings of Israelite religion. But to him, he thinks it's more than enough to secure the blessings of God. I mean, we could say, I mean, for one thing, we say, hey, you know, Micah's wrong, but he's wrong with confidence. He doesn't lack assurance or self-confidence in his error. And here we are warned of the danger of a religious veneer, a thin layer over the wood, right? Too much furniture with veneer on it. Just because a church has a building, a pastor, and people who come called the congregation doesn't mean it's a Christian church, let alone a church that God would bless. This is true of the family. This is true of the individual. Simply because a person has the trappings of Christian religion doesn't mean they are a Christian. 
the problem isn't that as a church we're angry about people starting their own things. Um, it is that man-made things or just having enough Christianity to satisfy one's conscience in a moment will ultimately disappoint them. You know, the people who will just come, you know, to enough church to kind of make up for the bad stuff they did. So they came, they came enough. They came Christmas and Easter, and they did a, bo- a couple of bonus Sundays because they had a few wild weekends, right? Christianity offers salvation through the gospel, but Christianity can be used as a superstition to take advantage of people or simply to become something people will use and say, certainly God will bless me. I know for sure God will bless me because I did X, because I have X. There's plenty of stuff you can buy on Amazon that people will send you through the mail. They'll take all your money and they'll send you things so that you can know for sure that the Lord will bless you too with whatever scented oil or soap or whatever thing they, they're, that they're hawking towards you. The danger of liberal Christianity in this regard is the same as superstitious conservative versions of it. It gives people just enough religion to keep them from finding the real thing. And this brings us to the heart of the problem in verse 6. And I'll summarize it this way. When there is no king, everyone lives like Samson. When there is no king, everyone lives like Samson. At the center of this story is verse 6, or this chapter anyway, and which says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Presumably the author is saying that if there had been a king in Israel, he would have seen to it that the Levitical priesthood was informed and in actually doing their job in instructing the people of God in the word of the Lord and correcting all the micas of the country. When God's people have their true king, they will do what's right in God's eyes, not merely their own. But there is no king in Israel right now. And so everyone does what he thinks is best. And that is a recipe for moral and religious confusion. And as we will see, anarchy. You know, there is a lot of, it's not always good, you know, the, the, the philosophy, the, even Christian philosophy is to say, well, it's just God, me, and my Bible. That is not a right, orthodox Christian approach to the Christian life. Christians need community. They need to be connected into the body of Christ. It's not, uh, it's not here, it, given the fact that there were no personal Bibles until at least after the, 50, what, 1500s? So it was, it was never just a Christian in his Bible for about 1,500 years. So we, can't, so we have to beware the, the, the uh, prevalence of translations and print Bibles and having several Bibles in our possession to be able to go, well, all I need is just me and my Bible. That is not what the scriptures say either. But the reality here in Israel is that the people without a king are just taking after the example of their judge, Samson, who himself did what was right in his own eyes. What did he say about the Philistine girl? Because she is right in my eyes. Get her for me for a wife. And they're like, really? She's, she's Philistine. 
I don't care. She's right in my eyes. I want her. And that is how Israel lives. And we were reminded that Samson lived by his eyes until they were taken from him. But this highlights for us the danger of relativism. Now, that, that's really the fancy word for describing doing whatever is right in one's own, one, one, one's own eyes. Can't say that. But this is the fancy word we have for it, relativism. It's all relative. You like that movie, I like that movie. I don't like it. You like this flavor of ice cream, I like that flavor of ice cream. You, you, you like this commandment, I like that commandment. You like the Bible, eh, not, not, me not so much. Right? I like certain parts of it, you know, but other parts, eh, I, just, I don't really focus on those so much. Right? But we know that not all decisions are matters of opinion about entertainment options or ice cream flavors. There are serious moral questions that we are dealing with today, and the immoral insanity of our culture uh, r- rises precisely from this unquestioning trust in the self. That the answer lies within. That is where certainty lies. And the Bible says, no, that is the way of judgment and death. For the heart is desperately wicked above all else. Now one problem that has arisen is men who come along and say, yes, don't trust the world. Trust me. Trust God. And I speak for him. So whatever I say is God speaking to you. And that is, of course, how cults begin, or cult-like organizations begin. The solution to relativism is not a strong Christian leader, but the true King, Jesus Christ, as he is revealed to us in the Word of God. Men can err. Pastors can err. Men can sin. Men can be deceived and be deceived, but God cannot. Jesus cannot. The King of kings and Lord of lords is over all, and he is perfect. And so what we see here in this text, and what we will see as we, as we continue through the rest of the book of Judges, is Israel's desperate need for a king, for the king that they need. The moral and religious chaos of our own day is no different. Everyone is living like Samson, but what you need and what I need is our King Jesus Christ. And the great thing is that we have him. We have him in his word. We have him by his gospel. We have him by faith. We, uh, we, we have him as he communicates himself to us by his presence through his Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so let us today commit ourselves to the word of God. That by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we will avoid false worship. We will avoid false confidence and that we will trust in our King Jesus who will correct, guard, and guide us. But most importantly, he will save us from ourselves and the desperately wicked ideas that we have for what constitutes uh, assurance and what constitutes good worship and that he will correct us and direct us into pure and true worship that honors him and strengthens the body of Christ, the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a true king. We thank you for texts like these, which plant a big warning sign about what what to steer clear of. 
and that you warn us against developing a false confidence through the mere trappings of religion. That you warn us against false worship that we create through uh, man-made elements. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, we do not wish to be ahistorical and pretend like we don't have a history or a tradition. History benefits us. Tradition benefits us. We are blessed by it. Centuries of it. Lord, we thank you for your word that directs us. That, that is the authority, the authority over all tradition. We thank you for the history of the church that gives us wisdom, that shows us errors, that shows us healthy principles and godliness and godly example and things to emulate and to apply um, in our own time. Lord, we pray that as we live in a country that just is so chaotic and so turbulent and seems to have lost its mind in so many ways, we pray, Lord, first of all, for revival revival of true religion, a revival of Christianity, for the gospel to pour, be poured out through the Spirit, for many to come to faith through it and through the church. Lord, for there be, to be repentance, true repentance and deep repentance, and to break out, especially in these areas where there is so much brokenness and, and, and darkness. Lord, we pray for renewal, even in the areas that are called the so-called Bible Belt, where even, even though there are many people familiar with Christianity, we're fearful, Lord, that they are, it is only the trappings of Christianity. So, Father, we pray that we would avoid these errors ourselves, that by our example, by our love for one another, by our faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would hold out a clear word of truth to those around us that they would be challenged and encouraged and strengthened to follow after Christ, to abandon false man-made worship, to abandon false sources of self-assurance, and to place all their trust and hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.